So this morning, we are going to go through um, the story of Samson. Um, the story of Samson, it, it's almost an unbelievable story in itself, of just how outlandish it is. Um, just, just the story sounds very like some kind of big fish tale. Um, it, it's, it, is, it is peak biblical entertainment, in my opinion. Um, it, it is a wonderful story. Uh, strange story as well. What we're going to do is actually go through the entire story of Samson, because I think it's a story that um, demands to be told all together, not pieced out, but told start to finish um, in just one, one sitting like this. And really what I want to show and really key in on is this idea of Samson called to be a leader of the nation of Israel and continually failing to live up to that, that calling as in the, the scripture, it, he is called a judge, which really translates into a deliverer or leader of this, this nation. We see time and time again, this guy is just failing to be the person that God has called him to be. And what I want to show is not just the story of Samson and all the ridiculous things that happen throughout the story, but... Um, I want to kind of think through what it means for us reading the story of Samson. So my plan is to go through the story in one sitting, and this may be slightly different than a normal sermon where we're literally just going to be reading through and then pausing and just understanding what we're, under, what we're reading. But ultimately, we're going to get to the end of the story. And I want to kind of give you a couple of reflections, a couple of things that we can take from applications out of Samson. Um, so if you got your Bibles, if you turn to the book of Judges, chapter 14, um, open your Bibles, power up your Bibles, unscroll your Bibles, whatever you got in front of you. And let's go through this story of Samson and really talk about um, his life and some of the things that I think God wants to reveal to us. Um, the book of Judges the, the best way to really understand the book of Judges is to look at chapter 2 first. And it's up here. And in, in the very beginning of Judges in 2, what it really does, it sets you up to understand what you're about to read. The patterns that we see with all the Judges, seven total, where we start off pretty good and then we get a little bit worse and then we get basically to the end and it's just complete awfulness. And in Judges chapter 2, it kind of helps us understand exactly what we're seeing here. Um, I'll read a couple extra verses than what you see up here, but, but 10 through 11, it's, it's really what I think sets you up to understand clearly what's going on. In verse 8, we understand that Joshua, son of Nun, um, the leader, actually brought the Israelites into the promised land. He died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, and here in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Verse 10. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsake the Lord the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods and people all around them. 
They arose the Lord's anger because they forsake him and serve the Baal and Ashtoreth, and his anger burned against them. And so then we read what has happened. After Joshua passes away and another generation comes to be, now we're surrounded by this new generation that did not see what God did in Egypt, did not see the miracles that he performed, didn't see all the things that he did out in the desert. They're a couple generations after Josh. And what has happened to this generation? They have begun to look exactly like their neighbors. They have begun to turn into the people that surround them. And so now all these people that are meant to be set apart meant to be unique, meant to be different, meant to be the people that identify with the Lord of Israel, the God of Israel, they have now become exactly like everyone around them. No different. Worshiping the same gods, doing the same behaviors, doing the same things that God has called them to avoid and and not, not do. Here they are now, just like everyone else all around them. We read there, a few verses later, down there in verse 16. The Lord raised up judges. And you probably have a footnote there for the judges, but they're really just deliverers. People that are meant to deliver them out of something. So God raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's command. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies for as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted him. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refuse to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And so this is the typical description that you see of the book of Judges, where these, these folks that are supposed to be following the ways of the Lord, they give in to idol worship and they give in to their evil ways. God raises up a judge because all their behaviors have resulted in pain, um, has resulted in their lands being plundered, has resulted in their neighbors overcoming them. And so a judge comes along, makes everything right, everything's back to where it should be, then the judge passes, and then we're right back to where we were, and in some cases, even worse off than the way that we were before. And so we have this cycle of, of we go from bad to worse to terrible. And this is what the book of Judges starts with, because as you go through the book, you're supposed to be thinking this way. You're supposed to be thinking about the judges this way, where it's just like everything's terrible, judge comes in, they're going to write the ship, hopefully, and then now the question becomes, after the judge passes away, will they remain following the Lord's ways? And we find consistently that the answer is no. And so with that, we kind of understand who these judges are and what this book is all about. And so we flip forward to chapter 14, and Samson's story actually begins in 13, where his his birth is announced. And the one thing that's remarkable to understand about Samson is how he is being dedicated to the Lord's service. 
We read specifically in chapter 13 that he is called to be a Nazarite. And a couple of things that we know about Nazarites, right? Um, they do not touch anything that's dead. They do not drink any wine. And they do not shave the heads of the hairs on their head. Now, I'm going to tell you this now so that as we go through the story, um, you're not tricked. Because Samson's a great story, but, um, but here's the honest truth. The veggie tales have ruined Samson for you. <laughs> that cucumber and that tomato, you think that's, that's the reality? We've got to be very careful here. Because is this story about hair? Is this story about hair? It is not about hair, okay? I'll tell you that right now. And I want you to, with, with eyes unveiled, look at this story and try and see, did he really never touch something that was dead? Did he really not have a drop of wine? See these things. We'll see in the story that that is not true. His Nazarite vow is being broken constantly. It is constantly being broken as he goes through the story of Samson. And so um, see these things, recognize these things. This church is full of mature uh, readers of the Bible. You guys can't be fooled, no problem. But understand that, that this is not about hair, right? This is not a story about the guy got a haircut finally, and then all of a sudden he got in trouble. Um, but there's something deeper that's going on here. And here's the other thing I want to invite you to see as we go through the story of Samson. Who's this story really about? Is it really about this guy and his behaviors? Or does the story of Samson reveal something actually about God and his character and what he, um, his, what he believes and how he will respond to his people? So with those things in the back of our mind. Go to chapter 14, and we start there, the first four verses. And this is the, the, the first four verses is meant to set tone for us to understand who we are dealing with here. So we read that Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. And when they returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. The other thing we got to know about Samson, it, it, he is ro- romantic, you know, high on romance. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And his parents, this is the aside, did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over, the, over Israel. Now, there's a couple of things to understand from these first four verses, because again, these are tone-set in verses. This is to help you understand who do we got, who are we dealing with here. The first thing to see there is in verse 3. This right here um, is one of those translation-type things. We read that, isn't there an acceptable person out there besides this uncircumcised Philistine woman? It concludes with his response. Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Now, you read this time and time again in the book of Judges. In fact, one of the darkest 
most, in my opinion, saddest moments in the book, really the entire Bible, I think comes at the end of Judges, where there's this proclamation that it's gone rock bottom, and it says that time and time again, in those times there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's repeated in Judges. It's, it's, it's called out time and time again. The big problem that, that is, is, is seen here in the book of Judges is that everyone's just doing what they think is right in their own eyes. That verse that at the very end of three, get her for me, she's the right one for me. Another translation would be, in my eyes, I think she's the right one for me. And so Samson is doing the same exact thing that everyone in the nation is doing. Everyone in the nation is doing what is right in their own eyes. And here Samson is doing the same thing. He's just rolling what he thinks is right. It's not necessarily what God has called him to do. It's not necessarily the thing that God has asked him to deliver the people out of. He's sitting here and he is just going with this woman. Why? She's right in my eyes. I think she looks good to me. Now, verse 4 is very interesting, too, because, again, this is where we got to be very careful here um, and, and not get ourselves too twisted with what we're reading. So here's Samson doing what is right in his own eyes. And then there's this aside that his parents didn't understand what was going on because God was going to use this for the occasion of getting rid of the Philistines. Because, again, remember, a judge has been raised up. There is, there is panic in the nation. Um, the Philistines are attacking the Israelites. There is an outcry to God for rescue. And so Samson has been raised up for the occasion of rescuing the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. And, and what is he doing? He's going off marrying one of their people. And he is not doing the things that God has called him to do. But... What is God doing in his sovereignty? He's still going to use the situation, and he's going to use Samson's sinfulness to still accomplish his will. We'll revisit that in a moment here. But it's, it's important to see that um, when we talk about what's going on in these first four verses, it's the case that he is not doing what he's called to do, is definitely the case that he's doing what he thinks is right in his own eyes. And verse 4 is not an endorsement of that by God, but rather God declaring he's still going to find a way to use this brokenness for his ultimate glory. So as we continue on through chapter 14, let me read through this here. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. A dead thing, right? And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. 
When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he didn't tell them what, where that he had taken it, the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the women. And there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. And he replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give an answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband and to explain the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Awesome. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't explained it to my father and mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. And so on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? and What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, Again, you got to remember, peak romance here from Mr. Samson, right? If you hadn't plowed my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. That's a Hallmark card, I know it. (laughs) Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, gave their clothes to those who explained the riddle, and burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. So here we go. Failure to lead. His calling is to deliver all of his people out of the hands of the Philistines. He's sitting here doing riddles. He's sitting here having feasts. He's sitting here doing all these ridiculous things and responding angrily when they figure out his riddle. And one of the things that should stick out to you as you read this is in verse 19, when all these things are happening and now there's an occasion to come against the Philistines, what do we read happens? Who is empowering Samson to respond with his great strength? The Spirit of the Lord came down upon him. Let me pose the question, and I'm going to pose it once more, and then we're going to come at the end and just uh, think through this. When the Spirit of the Lord empowers him, is it because God is condoning his actions? Or is it because God is trying to as broken and as messed up as dude is, still trying to actually accomplish his will through broken people. We continue on to chapter 15. Chapter 15, later on at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to go visit his wife. 
He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. And again, this, this is ridiculous, right? Like, what, what are we reading here? What is this story? What is God trying to show us here? Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So his wife was given away. So all this goes down while he's out there beating up 30 dudes. And he comes back with a young goat to go visit his wife. And his wife's father gave the wife to somebody else. He's like, well, I thought you were gone. I didn't think you were coming back. So um, I go ahead and gave her to somebody else. I got another daughter here if you want that one. And so what is, Philist- what is uh, Samson's response to the Philistines? This time, I'm going to really get them. So what did he do? What a normal godly person would do, right? <laughs> he went out and caught 300 foxes, tied them tail to tail in pairs. He fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told, Samson, the Timonite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. The Philistines went up and captained Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? And so the scene here is this, right? Here's the Israelites, the people that are supposed to be um, getting delivered by Samson, right? They're the ones that have been crying out for rescue, the ones that have been asking for God for a deliverer. And who is the guy that's here to deliver them? This guy that is involved in all these relationship quabbles, the one that is fighting with the Philistines because his wife was given away, because he had this, this scene where he burned all their fields. So, we have come to take Samson prisoner, they asked, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Entom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, we have come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up to the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. And then what comes upon him? The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. And then finding a 
fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. And with a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant victory, this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall to the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. And so the spring was called Enharakar, it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And so we read right there at the very end where he's done this, this, this act. And again, we have to be continually asking ourselves, is all these things that are happening, is what Samson is doing, and is the fact that the spirit of the Lord empowering him does that mean that what he is doing, God is pleased with? Does that mean that what he is doing is okay? See, this is something that I think Christians have to be very careful about. Sometimes things work out in our favor. Sometimes, you know, something happened. And, you know, as we read in, in the New Testament, God is continually working all things out for, for our good. Even the bad things are being worked out for, for our good. But sometimes we got to be understanding that just because God is working these things out for our ultimate good doesn't mean that God agreed with what we did in the first place. You know, when I was a young man, um, I was driving home from hockey one time in the middle of the night in, in extreme snowy conditions. I was driving my dad's um, Chevy Celebrity. It was a great winter car. And, and, you know, I'm like 17 years old, right? And... And like any smart 17-year-old that's driving in the middle of a blizzard on a country back road, I'm driving 60 miles per hour through white snow, right? Because I'm invincible, and I know exactly what I'm doing, and uh, none of you guys have done that, right? Um, And so the strangest thing happened, driving 60 miles per hour down this country road. I had one of those uh, situations, you know when people plow and they just like they go go straight across the road and push a snowbank across the road, and then what do they leave? Too many snowbanks that is like poking out into the road. Um, I went full speed into those two things, and all of a sudden, like this very weird rotational experience started happening in my life, <laughs> and I ended up in a snowbank, right? And it was funny too when I'm in the snowbank, um, you know, I'm like. Man, that was scary. And I went to go touch the pedal, and the car, the front end is just buried in the snow, and the pedal is just like on the ground. So, whatever is up under there, the snow is just causing the pedal to be completely dropped. And so, um, what do I do? Like, I cry out to God. I ask for rescue. I ask for help. I ask for, um, for him to do some kind of work in my dad's heart so that when I do have to call him, um, I'm not going to get buried by my, my old man, right? Um, and so, you know, all things work out. Kind neighbor across the road pulls me out of the snowbank with his truck. Uh, it was probably the guy that did it, actually. So um, that was his repentance. But 
um, you know, pulls me out. The car actually works. I call my dad. I make it home, and I'm safe and sound. And um, you know, I didn't learn anything because you know, I'm sure a month later, I'm driving 60 in the snow again. Uh, the point being this, though, was I doing the right thing? Was I behaving the way I was supposed to? Was I driving the car the way that would honor my father? Absolutely not. Did God work through that situation? Did God rescue me out of that pain? Did God rescue me out of the snow pile? Yes. The fact that he rescued me, the fact that he moved in that situation, does that make my driving like an idiot down that country road, does that make it okay? And, and it's, it's a funny story, but it's, it's something that, that Christians have to be very clear, that because God moves and because God is rescuing us and because God is responding to the plights and the situations that we find ourselves in, we have to be very careful to not look at that and say, well, that's because God was okay with what I was doing and he rescued me and he helped me and he's signing off on my foolishness. And it's the same thing that we see here in the story of Samson. Yes, God is, is coming and empowering him and time and time again, he finds himself, in these, find himself in these ridiculous situations. Does it mean that God approves of these situations that he finds himself in? Or is it the case that God is, even though he's finding himself here in this place, God has not abandoned him. God in his great patience and mercy is still working through the life of Samson so that he can ultimately accomplish his will, his desires to see the Israelites saved out of the plight that they find them in. So now, we're going to move into verse, or chapter 16. And this is kind of the, the peak of the story. Um, this is where, where, I don't know if it gets really good, but um, this is where we find Samson in his greatest trouble. And, and what God is doing here, I want to kind of pick apart a few things in this story. Um, I'm going to kind of jump through this, um, ver- uh, chapter 16. But the, the thing to key in on is um, the first couple of verses there in chapter 16. He went down to Gaza. He saw a prostitute. And he went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in, white, uh, lay in wait for him. And, and the scene happens um, through the first like 10 verses here, where they try to, to surround and attack him. These are Philistines. And he does the very normal thing of ripping the city gates off and carrying them, if you know the geography, 50 miles to the city over and attacks them and has a confrontation with them. And, and once again, Samson uses his great strength and overcomes him. We then read down there in verse 8, excuse me, verse 6. Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And so time and time again, we read through the next few verses here that Samson lies to her and gives her the wrong thing that would be the secret to his strength. And so time and time again, he lies to her into the point now where she is nagging him, the verse says, and she is just hurling all these insults to him. And finally, he relents. 
and says, the secret is my hair. Verse 17, he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Now, we're all expert Bible students in here and we know that this isn't really what's going on, right? It's not the hair because dude has touched donkey bones. He has touched lion carcasses. He has been at festivals um, I don't want to shock people, but you know what happens at festivals? Um, probably some wine a little bit, right? And so um, is this really about hair? And is the reason that God has been allowing the Spirit of the Lord to strengthen him powerfully, is it because he hasn't had a haircut? No, that's ridiculous, right? Um, so that, that's not what go, is going on here. And let's not forget, who is he actually spending time with right now, Right? He is a flawed man. He has time and time again done things that has is not becoming of a man of the Lord. But here he is um, finally giving this secret out. And so Delilah cuts his hair. And then 20, she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before, shake myself free. But he didn't know that what had happened. The Lord had left him. And then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They sent him grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. So let me read through the last bit of this story. And let me pull a couple things out here as to what's happening. Um, and again, this, this comes back to the question, Who's this story really about? Verse 23, the rulers of the Philistines assembled to great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. And so, key in on that. Samson is captured. Samson is, is tied up. And now the Philistines are worshiping and praising who? This false god, Dagon. And the question that now comes before us is, is God going to tolerate this? So while they're in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can fill, feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers and the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, this right here is a hotly debated verse. 
Is this what got him into the Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11? Is this why we look at Samson as a man of faith? Um, I don't know. But what is his motivation behind asking for God to strengthen him once more? For his revenge, for gouging out my eyes. You know, this this verse is very interesting, and you could conclude a couple of different ways. Um, You could say, finally, he's now asking for God for strength. He's resting in his faith. He's recognizing that if I truly want to do something here, I need God in my life to move. Um, At the same time, questionable his motivation between asking for God to move in his life. But, verse 29, Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might and came down the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. And thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Then his brothers and sisters, whole family, went down to get him, brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel for 20 years. Now, that's the end of the story, not the end of the sermon. Um, There's a couple of things that we should recognize here. The best thing you can do to understand Scripture is to understand Scripture using other Scripture. And in 1 John, it says this. Um, the men were reading this in, in Wednesday night uh, Bible study. But um, here John says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from who? The world. And the question is, was dude, Samson, um, did he have lust of the flesh? Yes. Um, lust of the eyes? Yes. And did he have a pride of life? Yes. And John helps us understand these things do not come from the Lord. So let me give you a couple of things to reflect upon. The, the application here and the things that we can understand of what this story is all about, there, there's a ton here. But let me just give you two things, and then we'll conclude. Um, One of the things that I think you have to be very careful about, especially when you read the Old Testament, is these these characters, these people, these lives that we read about, um, are they there for us to look up to them, to look at them as people to, you know, emulate, as heroes, as people that stand out? Um, And, you know, maybe I can ask it this way. You know, Moses, was Moses a good guy? Should you be like Moses? Um, Do good guys murder Egyptians out of anger? Do good guys respond in anger to his own people? David, King David, good guy, bad guy. Do good guys um, look down from the rooftop to his, you know, friend's house and see his wife, and then decides he's going to take that wife, and then sends his friend into battle, and you know, then ultimately get killed. The point being this: these these characters in the Old Testament, these characters that we read throughout Scripture, 
They're there to help us see a reflection into our own lives. The question that you should be asking yourselves as you go through the story of Samson is, in what ways am I like Samson? In what ways do I share these same character flaws? The Bible is there to show you that when you behave this way, when you give in to your sin, when you respond to, to God's calling and do all these goofy things, Samson's there to help us understand some things, right? These characters in the Old Testament, they're there to help you identify and ground yourself in, in these studies of what happens when sinful people don't actually live up to the, the calling that God has in their life. And you know this, right? You know this for sure, because Romans tells you this. Romans tells us this simple fact. Who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Some people, all people except for the Old Testament people, everyone except for you know David and maybe Samson, just these couple of verses. No, the answer is all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinful people. And if there's anyone in our lives we should be looking towards for inspiration, for, for who to, to idolize, not idolize, excuse me, who to, um, to really model our lives after, there's only one person, and that is Jesus Christ. When we look at our lives, we compare our lives to that of Christ and the way he lived. And that shows us where we have drifted, where we are off mark, and where we need to, to look at real hard on how to changing our lives. When you read through Samson, the question we should be asking is, how am I like Samson? How do I use the good gifts that God has given me? I mean, think about Samson. He's literally the strongest man that has ever lived. Two city gates. 50 miles hauling that over uneven terrain. The, the path he took was from sea level to a mount that was 3,000 square feet, or, or feet in the sky. Dude was strong, but he used that strength for all the wrong things. And it's the same in your life. The things that God has put into you, the gifts that he has given to you, the skills, the knowledge, the talents. The question always becomes, how are we using that for the glory of God? and not end up like Samson. Samson got there eventually, but it was kicking and screaming, and he was doing everything that he was not supposed to, because ultimately the story is about who? It's about God and how he moves in your life. When you read through chapter 16, we see there very clearly that God was I don't know. Maybe he was fine with the situation Samson is. He left him. It reads in chapter 15 because, um, you know, even God's patience apparently has a limit. And, and so now Samson finds himself in this situation. But Dagon is being glorified. And in that, God does not allow that to happen. He reminds the Philistines who is sovereign, who is actually Lord of this creation. The story of Samson, I think, says much more about who God is and his character and how he moves in our lives. We read in Samson that, or excuse me, in the Judges 14, 15, and 16, that, that even though this guy is seriously flawed, 
God in his sovereignty and in, in his desire for, for, um, for Samson's life to turn out a certain way found a way to use even every single foolishness, every single bad thing that he did ultimately for his good and for his glory. And so the story of Samson, it is ridiculous. It is out there. It is crazy. But it teaches us a couple of things about who God is and his goodness and his sovereignty to work in your life and in my life. That even when we're filled with sin and doing things that we shouldn't be doing, God can still move and still work through your life, but it's ultimately for God's glory and for God's um, to be shown to be sovereign over this world. And for all of us, as we read through these stories in the Old Testament, it's supposed to pierce your heart and it's supposed to cause you to take a moment to say, is this true for me? How am I like Samson? Scripture is falling on rocky soil when you read stories like this and your response is, well, I know Joe really needs this, not me. That's not how this works. This is meant for you and to pierce your heart and to reflect upon it and to ask, how am I like Samson? In what way is the scripture revealing my flaws, the the areas where I come up short? And when God does that, his spirit can move in your life and begin to actually steer the ship in the right direction and for awesome things to happen. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for the story of Samson. Thank you for, as, as crazy as it is, Lord, it's supposed to shake us out of something and recognize just who you are and how you move in our lives. And Lord, your desire for us to actually, um, actually respond to the story in a way that helps convict us and and helps us orient our lives towards you. We thank you for this story. We thank you for everything you showed us. And we just thank you for this time just learning. Uh, We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.